0: Pray with me, would you please? Lord, you've intended your word to be everything, to to infiltrate our beings and to, to show us truth and to lead us to this place. Lord, deep in you where all of the burdens and the grievous things of life disappear and in their place, Lord, just the peace and the rest of you. And Lord, entrust in you, Lord, that you would lead us forward. And I just pray, Lord, that you would today profoundly speak to every one of our hearts, mine included. That you would do your work today, Lord. That you would minister, Lord, in every area that needs ministry, Lord. Perform your therapy. Speak encouragement to the discouraged, strength to the weak, Clarity, Lord, to the confused, life to the dead. But Lord, I pray if there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, you would make that so crystal clear, that clarion call today, Lord, to just come and surrender to your love. Well, Lord, have your way, we pray today. No matter where we are, Lord, take us one step deeper in you, one step more profoundly in you, one more step, Lord, where we're just so consumed in you. All we want to do is praise you and love you and love others, Lord. So, Lord, please, today, clear out the clutter, drive out all the madness, and in its place, Lord, put your perfect peace as our minds are going to be stayed on you now. Settle our hearts and minds. Lord, remove any spiritual ADD and put us, Lord, in a place where we are just captivated by you and your word now and redeem every second, we pray. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do now. Just speak, Lord, I pray. We're listening. Open our ears and our hearts and speak to every one of us individually. Speak fluent to us now that we would, Lord, know that you had spoken to us. And from there, Lord, move us that one step deeper or more. Jesus, in your name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Never assume it's true simply because I say so, or anyone for that matter. Search the scriptures. It's the reason why you get the word. Um, Now understand, this isn't the Shoreline Calvary Chapel Bible. There's nothing special about it other than it's God's word. That makes it very special. But it's the New King James, that's all. And the reason why we've picked that particular version, to be honest, is there are some people that really are way into the King James. And the only one we can get them to bend on a little bit is the New King James, to be honest. And I mean, I've heard people tell me the King James was the original language, which is strange to think that Jesus spoke what was spoken 400 years ago in England. But that's another story. So, so follow me on this as we move our way now. I mean, where we left off was Moses was in a bad place because they had, if you remember, they had sent out the spies to go and look at a land that God had already promised them. He told them it was beautiful. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And he also told them that he would bring them in. And there they were with this promise. Two promises. One, that this is the best place you will ever be. And second, it's God's job to get you there. And so spies were sent. And according to Deuteronomy 1, yet yeah, for what it's worth, there is this... Uh, kind of insight where you realize that, well, the people were, well, they're a little nervous. And so they're like, you know, we should really send, send out spies. Now, that wasn't God's idea. That was man's idea. God conceded, but it was man's idea all the same. And so they went in and understand what Moses says. This, he says, listen, we need to evaluate two things. We might call it the worth it factor. Is it really worth it to put forth this effort? First of all, we need to know if the land that God said was really great is really great. And second, what's the battle? What's the challenge? What hurdle do we have to get over to get there? Now, if you know that you have to spy out the lay in the first case to be able to see whether it's good, you're already living in a place of doubt because God already said it was everything. So when you get to the second part, you've already denied Him when God said, I'll get you in, and you're like, well, how big is the fight for us? And understand, that becomes, in essence, really the diagram for a really bad set of choices that will be so Pivotal in the history of the people that an entire generation other than two people will pass away for the next generation to go in. Now, please understand, as been said, that when we look at the Promised Land, I know that if we were like going to cling to something that was written like 200 years ago in like Georgia or Louisiana, it's like George, passing the Jordan's like the Promised Land's like heaven. But to be honest, if that were the case, we're in trouble. Because there are giants to be fought there. I mean, there's going to be compromise that takes place there. It doesn't sound like heaven to me. How about you? But get the idea here that, again, there was this place of bondage that we knew of as Egypt. It's what we had known for 400 years as bondage, 430 years in the entirety. And then from that place... We have this place in between, this place in the wilderness. Now, it certainly, as much as it was, is better than Egypt because we weren't in bondage anymore. But, in that time, God has an agenda. And you need to know that God always has an agenda with you. His agenda is for you to know Him for who He really is. Everything you need. Now, that is a rough lesson to learn. Because most of us, if God just put up on a whiteboard, I'm all you need, we can nod at the information, but until we're put in the positions where we really need him, or at least we're aware that we need him, to be honest, it'll only be intellectual. And that becomes the problem. what the wilderness does is it gets us to this place where we realize, God, I need you for my breath. I need you for my food. I need you for every appetite. You have to be everything for me to survive. That's where that goes. And that becomes pretty rough. Because to be honest, most of us, that's where we'll stay. As sad as that is. Now, beyond that, there's the place of bondage. Then, if you will, there's the place of barrenness. And God makes it barren. He makes it spartan. And the reason He makes it that is that the less He actually puts into this, the more you can realize He's the one you need. Now, there are a lot of times what happens is the Lord will do this thing where He sort of pulls away and yanks away every concentric circle so all you're left with is just you and Him. And we can fight God and we can yell at him and we can scream at him. But the bottom line is, there's all of this stuff that we think we need and he pulls it away so all that's left is us and him so we can realize we're actually okay here. And that becomes the place of barrenness. A place where he really clears out the clutter and he starts removing Egypt from us, even as he removed us from Egypt before that. But it's not as perfect. It's not as best. It's just better than where we were. But there's a place over here, this land that he promised. But again, by the way, he's going to have to part the water one more time. For us to get from there to to this middle place, he had to part the water. The Red Sea, by the way. And for him to to get us from here to the place he's promised, he's going to have to part the water again. This time, the Jordan or the Jordan. And what he tells us is that this is a place of fruitfulness. And please hear me on this. That's the promised land. What God has intended for every person who surrendered to Jesus is to be more than just not that anymore. And that's what the barrenness is. And the land of barrenness is this land, if you think about it, where it's like we're identified as, well, I'm not a fight addict anymore. I'm not a drug addict anymore. I'm not beating this or fighting that or addicted to this. Or I'm not as horrible as I used to be. And we're kind of identified by the nots. It's like what we're known by is our tombstone. And we wander around in the wilderness. Oh, that's okay. We, we wander around in the wilderness and we wander around because we're still somewhere around us trying to figure out who we are. And God pulls us up to the place where, this place, by the way, Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai means barrenness. And you get to this place where you start stripping all this stuff away and there you are going, okay, well then, what in the world am I? And we could tell people that. Our testimony is, well, you know, I just want you know what I used to I used to kick puppies and slap nuns, and I'd run over to children and I was like, that was the kind of person that I was. And to be honest, that could have been who you were, but that's not who you are. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus had, what we read is, he called these fishermen, and as he called these fishermen, by the way, they left their nets, they left their father, they left their boats, and they left to follow Jesus, and he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And what we knew how to fish is we threw our nets as low as we could, we pulled up everything from the bottom up, and then we sorted through it on the boat. That's what we knew. And that's exactly what they started doing, but this time with people. And understand that's one of the problems with Christianity, if we're, if we're really honest, is that we're not willing to throw the net low enough. And so what happens is these fishermen throw the net, and what it says is, and they brought to him those that were powerless and possessed. Those that were paralyzed. That's what was... And imagine, you got these guys carrying cots and grabbing chains of possessed people and people that were emotional basket cases. And this was the idea of ministry, beloved. If I could get them to Jesus, he could fix them. It's that simple. It wasn't like, well, I don't have a degree... I don't know if I can really walk him through these 25 different things or if I can walk him through systematic this or eschatological this. or You know, all in the end of it all, it's like that stuff, if if it becomes hurdles between you and Jesus, get out for a moment and get to what real ministry is, which is, just man, if I could get you to Jesus, he could fix you. I know that. And then after that, and here is Jesus up on this hill, and as he's looking, there's these piles of chains and crutches and cots that will never be needed again. And then he looks and he's like, and that begins the what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters five through seven. Do you remember how that starts? Blessed. It's like, well, who am I now? I mean, I'm an ex-paralytic, but I'm walking. So how does that work? I'm an ex-possessed, but look at me now. I'm sane and in my right mind, clothed in normal or whatever normal is. What am I now? I mean, I was a person that was an Total and utter basket case. And now look at me, I'm living a productive life. And I go, what? Wait a minute. What am I? And if we don't start looking at what Jesus tells us, what we'll do is we'll do the same thing. We'll go, you know what? I'm going to walk around, carry these crutches with me everywhere, even though I'm not going to need them, because they're a comfort to me. They kind of remind me this is what I was. Who am I? I don't know, but I know what I was. Isn't it horrible to think we could be more familiar with the rotten guy that Jesus allowed to die on the cross instead of the person that we are now? And so when Jesus turns, eight different times he's going to go, You're blessed. That's what you are. You're blessed. You're blessed. That's what you are now. Get that through your head first. Before you start figuring out anything else, now you're blessed. Now please hear me. <clears throat> In between this place of Of bondage is barrenness. And then from barrenness, we start going to bearing fruit. That's over here, and that's what he intended. And according to John 15, he tells us that my will is that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. That's what he tells us. Not just the pastor, every one of us. Because if you're connected to Christ, something's going to happen. So, follow me. Here's the problem with all of that. Here we are deciding whether this place is good enough. I mean, what's weird is God doesn't make that I mean, imagine if God made the wilderness nice if He made the wilderness nice but it wasn't fruitful but it was nice it just wasn't as bad it was nice you know, some shade a little bit of water we had to work really, really hard for everything we'd be okay with it but God makes this a place where you just you don't look and go let's build a summer home here or there because it all looks the same over that sand hill or that sand hill you wouldn't find it again it all looks the same and he doesn't want it to be great he just wants it to be better doesn't that make sense? because he doesn't want you staying here but if we come in as consumers and we come in simply seek to observe and just take whatever we want and walk out unchanged this is where we'll live but his intent is for us to every one of us to bear forth fruit But Israel goes, "Mm, let's go check and see if this is good enough. And you know what's really sad? Is that for most of us, all we know is the fight. We don't even think about what would be over here. And so, think about how horrible that was. I mean, it's, we're not even, we have no carrot over here to drive us about how great it would be to be in God's perfect will. But instead, all we know is, well, if I'm really going to be full on for Jesus, some people are going to think I'm crazy. Some people are going to have a problem with me. I'm going to probably, my girlfriend's going to probably break up with me. My friends are going to look at me and say, you're no fun anymore. Or whatever, maybe I won't get that job or I won't get that audition or whatever. And in all of that, all we can see are the battles to be fought. We don't even see why in the world it's worth fighting. But here's the good news. Even as big as the battles would be, they're still not yours to fight. So there were giants. Sons of Anak. Anakim. So big they were. Anakim skywalkers. Sorry. And it didn't work last week either. And Anak means to choke. And these three sons, if you remember... Does anyone remember what their names were? I mean, not in the Hebrew, but kind of what they meant. My brother, the gift. Remember that? That was the first of them. The second was to bleach the stain. And then the third, to accumulate. And you realize these are the very things that choked the life out that Jesus taught us in Matthew 13 when he told us about the sower that sowed seed amongst the thorns, among the weeds. like you know what if I am going to go into a place where God wants to be fruitful well there's some giants I mean giants giants that are there and these giants are well how I compare myself to others and my desire to be wanted oh yeah my brother's the gift what about me And that idea of, really, how do I make myself clean? How do I surround myself with all of the rituals and regalia so that it's no longer about relationship anymore? It's about how hard I have to do this and how many candles I light and how much I give and how much I've done this. And and all of a sudden, it's really not about Jesus anymore washing my stains. That's a giant that has to come down. Well, then there's that third one. I'm so busy getting stuff that I really don't have time for God's best. Instead of like reading his scripture, I'm looking at Amazon catalog just to try to find out what will make my life complete. And again, those aren't giants that you're supposed to take down. Those are giants Jesus wants to take down. Those are giants God wants to take down to get you to a place of fruitfulness. But he wants you to walk in faith and to trust him. Now, why in the world would God want to do that? Why wouldn't he just kill the giants and then let you walk in? To be honest, God doesn't have a habit of doing that. Have you been aware of that? God doesn't have a habit of removing the problem without you seeing it. And the reason is because if he removed it without you seeing it, you'd never really be sure if it happened. When God allowed the Egyptians to pursue them, do you remember that? He let them encroach right up to the Red Sea and then he washed them all away in front of them. God has this way of presenting the enemy before you and then dropping the enemy in front of you so that he can say to you, they're never going to be a threat again. See it down. It's done. It's over, paid in full. Done. Finito." And if we don't see it, to be honest, we won't believe it. So the Lord will bring us to those battles and then take down the giants in front of us so that we can see how God works. Oh, but we didn't do that. The spies came back and they said, Oh, no, 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 no. You know, yeah, granted the ground. And they brought back this beautiful cluster of grapes, if you remember, on a pole. Which tells me that the giants weren't just the people. But there's giant fruit in the land too. And where there's giant battles to be fought, there's giant fruit to be gained. And you're like, but that's such a huge battle. Yeah. it's probably, And you're like, it's bigger than me. I can't do it. And I would say, yeah. Well, what do we do? Hand it to Jesus. We tried. Well, then hand it again. And hand it and hand it and hand it. For some of us, it's like bench pressing, you know? It's like, Lord have it. Oh, it's back again. Lord have it. Here we go. Oh, Lord have it. And sooner or later, what you realize is that the Lord keeps taking it and you get buffer. It's like win-win. And then we're in this text now where we're like, no, we're not gonna go. We are not gonna go. And we start to whine. Oh, you know why God did this? He did this because he hates our kids. He wants to kill our children and the elderly. God doesn't care about anybody. Wow. That's where you go with it. Hey, the enemy is constantly looking for a place to accuse God. Are you aware of that? But listen, as we now get to the text, have you ever had moments so profound that they're etched in your head that you refer back to at times? Unfortunately, some of those could be moments of great disappointment. But I think for Moses, after the fall with the golden calf in Exodus, chapter 33, he says... God's like, okay, I'll I'll forgive him, Moses. You stood in the gap, I'll forgive him. And he goes, but there's more. I don't want just for you to forgive us. If your presence does not go with us, then don't even bring us up out of here. This is Exodus 33, verse 15. For How will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? Except that you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from the people who are among the face of the earth. And the Lord says, you know what, I'll do this thing that you've spoken as well, because you've found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. And then he said, well, then show me your glory. Man, I tell you, I just love a guy that keeps just saying, God, can I have more? God, can I have more? Now, we're not talking about more stuff. We're saying more of you, God. Can I have more of you? Can I have that? And so, he said, listen, listen. He goes, first of all, we all deserve to burn here. Will you forgive us? That's mercy. And he says, yeah, I'll forgive you. He says, but can I actually ask for grace? Will you go with us? Hey, there's a lot of religions out there where the whole thing is maybe if you do enough, you can get a little bit of mercy. Maybe he'll overlook a problem. Maybe he'll overlook an offense. But talking about where God actually wants to do more than just... And by the way, the word in the Hebrew is Nassau. Remember, to lift off. But will you just not just lift off my sin, but will you actually go with me, be, have a relationship with you? Now that's totally different. He goes, no, that's Grace. I'm not worshiping God to pull Him away or to ask to, to try to fight off His wrath. I worship God because He's near, because He goes with me, and I just love Him. So He goes, "All right, you want to see my great? You want to see my glory?" You know, don't understand what He's saying is, "Well, who are you really?" And God's like, "Look at if you're going to know who I am, I'm not going to be found in caricature. I'm going to be found in character. That's the difference. You're going to be found in my personality, not in some kind of strange power." You'll see my power in my personality. So the Lord passes before him in the next chapter, Exodus 34, and this is how he shows his glory. He declares his name. Listen, please. The Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, a keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing, but visiting the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. He goes, you know who I am? I'm a fair God full of mercy and I love people and I think that it was etched in his head and the reason is he's going to pull that up now and there are times where God's going to do things and he's going to pull it out and give you a chance to say something so beautiful God will record it I love those moments have any of you ever had this kind of circumstance uh, where if you drive you've gotten pulled over and the police officer actually doesn't want to write you a ticket and they say something that if you actually respond properly, you actually get to go free, but you're too dumb to realize what they're saying, so you actually deny it and then wind up they have to write you the ticket anyways? Or is that only me, or I mean people I've heard of that have done that? There are times where the Lord's going to lay out something and then give you the opportunity to really declare his goodness. And please understand, there are going to be many situations in life we are not going to understand on this side. But what God said is if you want to know my glory, my glory is in who I am not just what I am, and if you're who I am, why becomes a very difficult question to ask. You know what? I I don't understand, but I trust you because I know you're good. I know you're full of mercy. I know that's who you are, abounding in goodness and truth, merciful and gracious. Oh, that's what I know about you. Now the people back in our chapter have said, we don't want anything to do with God. He just wants to kill our children. And they whine, let's actually elect a leader and go back. And Moses says, no, 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 don't don't do that. And they fell on their faces. Joshua and Caleb, they tear their clothes. They're like, what in the world are you doing? And Moses says, stop doing this. And they pick up stones and we left where people were going to kill Moses. And then God intervenes. That's verse 10. Look at it with me. And all the congregation then said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will the people reject me? The word there is the word Na'ats for what it's worth. It's imperfect, but it's PL, which means it's intensive. And the idea is, how long are they going to look at me with contempt? How long are they going to despise me? And you need to know this. God can be rejected. There's a group amongst us, not I mean amongst our fellowship, but that will teach as if what God does, you just can't resist it. You can't reject it. The problem is, Scripture says otherwise. In Luke 7.30, it tells us that the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves. In Acts 7, this was Stephan, verse 51, he says, You always resist the Holy Spirit. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus speaks and he says, You all too well reject the commandment of God that you would keep your tradition. Understand, God knows what it's like to be rejected. And if you've ever been rejected by a human being, at least you haven't been rejected by every human being. So multiply that by 7 billion. How long will they not believe me? And it's interesting, the word he chooses for believe is Laman. And by the way, for what it's worth, it means to render sure. How long? And here, let me say it in the simplest sense. What do I have to do for you to trust me? What's left to do? I've parted the Red Sea for you. I've rained bread for you. I've made the bitter water sweet. What do I have to do for you to trust me? You know what's amazing? Is if you told God what it was and you were sincere and it was true and He did it, it would only work for a period of time. Have you learned that yet? I'm like, oh Lord, please. I I know. I know that, that you're trustworthy but I have the hardest time trusting you. And he's like, I've delivered you out of the bondage. I've put you in a place where only I can feed you, only I can give you drink, only I can give you meat, only I can keep you safe. Hey, the wilderness is no place for safety. It's not. A, hey, this is a great place to raise a family. Banshees and raiders are all over the place. God's like I'm your predict your protection. Your let's try this again. I am your protection. I am your provision. I am your purpose. And my presence will shower you from your peace. He goes, how long will they not trust me? With all the signs that I've performed among them. Hey, i tell you what, Moses. He says, how about if I strike them with pestilence, look at verse 12, and disinherit them, and I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Now, which of us might say yes to that? What's important to recognize is just two chapters ago in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, we read this crazy statement having to be written by Moses, by the way, it said, the man Moses was very humble and more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Could you imagine having to write down you were the most humble guy that lived on the planet? That would be rough if it were true. And now we see another opportunity where that's displayed. Imagine if God were to say, you know what, I'm just... Joe, tell you what, let's just wipe out all of those people and we're going to start with you and you can populate a whole new race of people and we're going to call it the Joeites. Now, some of us might go, no, I'm not talking about, wow, a million babies, but I'm talking about like the idea that you get your name on the plaque. Some of us might go, that's pretty awesome. I've watched that happen with churches. Where it becomes about men fighting over names. And if you give enough, you get a plaque on the back of a pew, or you get a special seat, or even worse yet, is you actually get to sit up there with the pastor. Oh, there's something special. Let me just say, after playing a while like we do here musically, you probably don't want to sit with the pastor really close. I mean, it just doesn't, it's just, there's a lot of sweat going on up here. You get the special velvet seat. You know, can I just say, that just ain't the way Christ plays it. There's none of that being called forward to be adulated. The bottom line is, I really believe the reason the Lord called me to be pastor is He knew I needed this much accountability. (laughs) Hey, and I'm just pleased to do what He tells me. I'm just pleased to be obedient. So God, what if God were to say to you, hey, let's just, you know what, you don't like the way things are, how about I start a whole new thing with you? Would you go, cool? As long as my name's on the bill. First Church Church of Mari. Micah's Baptist Church. For the tall and thin. Everybody plays bass. Peter's Church. St. Peter's. Come and be buff with us. (laughs) Sorry, bro. And we can do that. See, God knew who to say that to you. I wonder what would happen if God had said that to Aaron. If he had said it to to his sister, Miriam. Remember how both of them were like, Who died and made you boss? Just a couple chapters ago. I kind of get the idea that if that were the case, that's what we would have dealt with. Is them going, yeah, okay, cool, let's just do that. But God knew who to ask. And the reason was is that God wasn't planning on doing this. He just wants one person to testify so that the rest of the world could see what it really looks like to stand in the gap. And he's looking for these people. Look at Moses' response. Verse 13. So Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among the people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, that your cloud stands above them, that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire night. Stop! Before we go any farther, check this out. Notice he says one of the things that's the, that, that the rumor that's going around is that you actually hang out with people. That's really strange for a god. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, think about the literally millions and millions and hundreds of millions of made-up gods. How many of them want to do anything with anyone? They toy with people for entertainment. He goes, you know what they hear? I mean, the, the news is out on you, God. You, I mean, you're trending, God. And what they're, what they're saying is, is that check this out. Hashtag hangs out with us. Hashtag he's awesome. Hashtag he's with the people. Did I do that right? <laughs> Woo-hoo! I feel so hipster. And God is constantly making that clear. I'm not a God that likes to hang over people. Not a God who likes to be an ominous mist. I created you for relationship. That's the point. I want to be among you. And so please understand, this God that we serve was never a God that was nasty that just liked to make people rough, make their life disinterested. The whole idea that God did not create us and go, you know what, I'm kind of bored. Let's make some people, let them work it out themselves and bring around the angels and we'll grab some popcorn and we'll see what works out and we'll place bets. Things are looking pretty good for Christian right now. Yeah, you know what, I'm good with that. Is that really what we think? And there was a whole group of people that were called the theists and that was basically the way they played it. They called God the great watchmaker. Like he wound things up and then kind of threw it down there and then just sort of kicked up his feet and watched it. Someone involved. Is that the way you see things? That's certainly not the God of my scripture. So whether that's Isaac in Genesis 26, 24 where he says, I'm with you and I will be with you or whether it's his son Jacob in Genesis 28, verse 15 where he says, I'm with you and I will continue to be with you wherever you go, by the way. Whether that's Isaiah in 41.10, where he says, Fear not, I'm with you. Or whether it's Jeremiah or Haggai, 1.8, 1.13, where he says, I'm with you. Stop. Don't be afraid of the men and their faces. And maybe for you, you've been at that place where you you think of someone's face and it makes you scared. Not just like, wow, that face is a scary looking face. But I mean, the look they give you, that's the idea. I just know that if I really told them about Jesus, and sometimes what's amazing is we've so rehearsed how horrible the response is going to be, we're quite... Shocked when it's not. Like I just need to tell you I got saved. Just give my life to Christ. Don't give me the look, don't give me the look, don't give me the look. And they're like, really? What does that mean? And you're like, huh? And you look, and it's like we can get to this place where we're so fearful to tell people the truth. It's like stop being afraid of men. Stop being afraid of their faces. You know what's amazing is in this, let's be honest, in this city, it's fairly likely most of the people you'll never see again. But we're still afraid to offend them. Because we're afraid that when they get home at the dinner table, they'll say, did you see that kook and your name? Or however they're going to relate to you. I'm like, or we could just love Jesus, the one person we're going to spend the rest of eternity with, and not worry about it. When Paul was in Corinth, sin capital, God said, don't be afraid, Paul, I'm with you. By the way, literally stop being afraid, because I'm with you. And by the time we end this book, remember the whole book started with God creating man so he could be with him. Isn't that how it started? Here's And by the way, in in case, and I do hope you'll read the whole book, but just to kind of do a spoiler. It starts with God being with people. Man blows it. God sends Jesus at the cross. He dies for our sins. Raises again to give us new life. That's the new generation, by the way. And by the time we get to the end of the book, Revelation 21, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. He will be, they shall be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. That's how it ends, by the way. He starts by being with people. Man blows it. God chases. Man blows it. God chases. Man blows it. God chases. And it ends with man being with God. God gets what he wants. Now read all the stuff in between. It's really cool. So the first thing he says is, look at you've heard, by the way, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people are already, you're pretty famous, God. And you're so famous because, you're famous because you want to be with people. And that's really strange for most of these guys. They don't see God that way. Then in verse 15 he says, Now if you kill the people as one man, then the nations in which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, Because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land in which he swore to give them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And this becomes the problem for most of us, I'll be honest. The world that's out there right now can actually see testimony of people who have left their bondage. The problem is, They've also seen people, in one way or another, temporarily leave a bondage of addiction or temporarily leave some other bondage of whatever the case is through some form of program. In many of those cases, founded in Christ, but then really went off to the wonky path somewhere down the line. And that's all they see. And because that's all they see, we really don't look much, more, much better than, in essence, a DIY program where somewhere in the end of it all, we say, here's some form of characteristic I want to see gone for my life. It's like God's like the ultimate, you know, what, spiritual liposuction. That's what we get out of this. Sort of sucked out some ugly fat, and now we're sort of a little better than we were before. That's where it is. And to be honest, if that's where you're at, I I get it. I get why you should be a little bit skeptical. When you see people, and by the way, can I just say, just because someone calls himself a Christian, we'd be stupid to just believe it. I think that the devil does some of his greatest work by telling everyone that he's a Christian and then doing nasty things. But when we see divorce rates is is bad in church and we see people suing each other and we see people that can't get along and being rotten and nasty and just as fleshly and just as carnal and just as catty, well, then people look and they go, you know what that looks like? That doesn't even look like the barrenness. That looks like the bondage, doesn't it? And if that's what they see, No wonder why I get the idea that what Jesus says is once I pull you out of this, what I'd like you to learn here is how to love each other. So when they walk into a place like this, they go, that's one of the strangest places I've ever been. I don't get it. They're all like, so nice. It's like weird. It's like utopic. But let's be honest. Being nice to nice people isn't the answer. It's caring for the people who aren't so nice. That's what separates us from the rest of the world. The people that will try you a little bit more. It'll be a little bit rougher to get along. And the Lord has a habit of keeping those people in your life so that you have the opportunity to show how much real love you have, not just worldly love. Being nice to nice people, the world can do that. But actually having the patience with a person who isn't getting with the program, now that's another story. And that should be the difference. So when people say, this marriage is impossible, I'd say, awesome, sounds like a good place for a miracle that person's impossible it sounds like a great place for a miracle and my God happens to be in the business of that so this is my invitation to all of you here if you've never really known Jesus Christ and maybe today the Lord will just say you need him boom and you're just going to say you're right I'm convicted but maybe you're going to be resistant hey if that is you today my suggestion is stick around and watch for yourself see if there's a difference so Christians let me see, challenge you be the difference you can't be the difference in the flesh you can't be the difference with your own strength but God's Holy Spirit the same God who forgave Hitler the same God who forgave Judas is the same God now by the way they didn't take that forgiveness but the forgiveness was there the payment was made the same God that would do that lives inside of you and you should look different do not concede case in point we'll we'll move forward Rough day, I have, like rented lips today or something. Let's just say Allie is, within Allie is a professional marathon runner. She's Olympic. Now, you don't know it. Those little legs get moving and boof, off she goes. And she, I'm telling you, and all of a sudden the, the gun's off and the girl's in a sprint for 26 miles. Amazing now you don't know that about her she doesn't know that about her and this isn't a prophecy this is only an example but if it's the case I said it no just kidding oh. <clears throat> but if she hangs out with if you pardon me for saying if she hangs out with fat slobs the whole time she will never know the Olympic athlete she could be now she may be able to get to the refrigerator a little faster but that, that's the best she may know She may be able to dive for the food a little quicker. Run into the room to get the remote before everyone else does. Uh, They've only told me. I'm just kidding. But but that doesn't mean she really will reach what God had intended. Does that make sense? And I wonder how many of us God has intended Olympic form in our walk with Christ. And yet in all of that, you know what we're going to get? We're going to hang out with people and say, well, that's, this is good because I'm a little quicker than the crowd. Hey, if you want to take a look at the world and think you're a little quicker than the crowd, which God says is spiritually dead, congratulations. You know what that means? God threw 15 cadavers on a track and you. And you said, check it out. I'm quicker than everybody else. Everyone else is dead. Secondly, like, like, how quick do you have to be? And you're like, I'm doing pretty good. I'm better than like the unsaved, unregenerate world out there. Congratulations, but that's not God's best. Because here's my concern, God. My concern is is, is for your name, because you know what they're going to say. They're going to say, Yeah, He can get him out. Okay, God's cool. He can get you out of hell. Maybe He can deliver you from pornography or from drugs or whatever. You know, you're not drinking anymore. Your marriage is a little better. But you're still identified by not being as bad as you used to be, and that's it. Welcome to the land of barrenness. I mean, how many people can you look at and go, Man, that person, I don't get it. And they're like constantly in love with God. And let me just give you a couple quick areas. Please follow me on this. Here's one. The world, by the way, is going to be, they don't have joy. They have happiness. Happiness is situational. Are you aware of that? joy is internal because it says that in his presence is the fullness of joy that's psalm 16:11. 11 you with me on this so if the world's happiness is governed by circumstances not every circumstance it's a good one matter of fact most of them aren't so good right so what you have is let's be honest it's like a lift or an out, or like a like a roller coaster right you know it's like how are you doing well you know it's up one day down the next well, if your life is governed by circumstance, well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because circumstances are good. Hey, things were really great. But then I missed my bus. I'm guided. And then I'm going, to, oh, wait a minute. But, but they have hey fresh chips when I got fish and chips. It's a good day. Oh, no, it's a horrible day because it rained and I actually didn't bring a bread. Oh, wait, oh but wait a minute. It got sunny again. And now I've got... The wrong clothes for it. You know, it's like weird how that works. And so it's like you're, you know, it's like the world's living in this place where it's like, are right, are you like Dr. Jekyll or are you Mr. Hyde for the moment? Now I'll wait ten minutes. It's sort of like the weather here. And then you talk to Christians. How are you doing? Well, you know, it's up and down. Really? What's up and down? Let me tell you what it is. It's down and then up. It was down. Jesus died, and then it's up. He resurrected, and that's where I'm at now. I'm in the up. The down is over. The down was here. Now here. The down was in Egypt. And the up is on this side. You get that. Here in between is the place. So like some people start looking and they're like, are you always like that? And I love having a daughter. She's like, yeah, my dad's like that all the time. You know what the cool thing is? And I'm not telling you like fake it and just drink energy drinks until you're like spazzing out. What I'm saying is, trust the Lord and let his joy carry you so that even in the craziest cir- circumstances, hey, in the crazy of you're still going, you know what, Lord, I'm still going to enjoy you. Because you didn't change when the circumstance did. And I'm going to rest in that. Does that make sense? And when that starts to happen, people start looking and going, Wait a minute, you're really a little different from my average Christian that I know. And you're like, well, I don't know what your average Christian is that you know, but I just want to be like Jesus. He had rough moments, sweat like drops of blood, but I tell you what, he never left the joy of the Lord. And I think that that's key. It's like also one other thing, people are driven by stuff. We need stuff. We gotta have stuff because that makes me important if I have stuff. And then there's over here where it's about people. We use people to get stuff in Egypt. Here we'll use stuff to help get people. Because people become more important. So when we're sizing someone up because they have something to offer us, what do we do when we look at like the world? And that's why we fight with each other, because we're so busy trying to, it's about me instead of somebody else. He answers again, you know what the world's going to look at? They're going to look and say, you know what, he could get him out of that place, but he really couldn't get him any place cooler than the rest of us. Hey, we get drunk once a week, and when we get drunk, it's like we laugh and we giggle for a little while. We hate the next morning, we may get in a fight, but at least we smile for a little time, and then you go to church and nobody smiles. You should give them all drinks. I've heard people telling me that, I'm like, you know what, here's the problem, you haven't been to our church. And they're like, well, how's your church different? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you. You're just going to have to find out for yourself. And then you come here, and it's like we're delighting in a God who delights in us. Do you see the difference? And it's like, yeah. I mean, smiling through a headache or smiling through a stomachache or some of the horrible things some of you have gone through. There's a beautiful profundity in that. And the Lord will allow some very difficult times, to be honest, to show that he really is different. So what Moses says, please hear me. Is, is he's, and we're just about done. He just says, "Look at, you know, if you tell people, you could get him out, but he couldn't get him in. That's what it's going to look at. he's like, you know, so what he did, he just killed him in the middle. Can we actually ask the Lord to make us different than that? Not accept that the world is going to be our standard, and not to accept that what anyone says is a counter society should be enough. But let Scripture dictate what it really should be, and we're going to take God at His word. Because that is, that's Olympic, is what that is, and He's intending that. So Lord, now let the my, notice verse 17, and now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as He have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering. Is that all familiar? Abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, by no means clearing. Notice the guilty, by the way, is and i It means it's added for clarity. Visiting the iniquity, fathers, children, third and fourth generation. In other words, he goes, you know what? I know where your power is. Your power is in your personality. Your power is in your pardon. That's what it's in. You show us real power. Verse 19, so pardon, please, this iniquity of the people, I pray. According to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven the people up to this point, you've been consistent with your forgiveness. Please, could you do it one more time? Notice again, he calls it in verse 19, mercy. Did you see that? The power is in his pardon. But then after that, notice, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. You need to know, you're not the only people who are going to experience this. The world's going to know who I really am. And they're going to know that I'm a God who forgives, but I'm more than just a God of mercy. I'm a God of grace. You guys are going to see it a little bit harder. Because all the men who have seen my glory and the signs in which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to test these ten times and have not heeded my voice. Oh, they certainly shall not see the land in which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Oh, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully. And I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it from there. Oh, God has the power to perform his promises. You know that. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow I'll turn and move out of the wilderness, into the wilderness, by the way of the Red Sea. The Red Sea, does that sound familiar? Do you realize where God took them? He took them back to the beginning. What's interesting is, if you remember, the Amalekites were actually already fought. Back in Exodus 17, when the people were out of the land of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked at a place called Rephidim. And God, remember, that was the place where when Moses raised his hands, there was victory. They've seen victory over the Amalekites. But here's the problem. They trusted him enough to let Moses raise his hands and see the victory there. Now imagine the battles in front of you. My natural thing is to put my hands in front of my face. God says, no, what I want you to do is take your hands off and raise them. Come out with your hands up. In that surrender, God brings the victory. That's the point here. And that's what he wants here, beloved, to hear me. But now he looks, and now we're not trusting him. We're in a place of trust. we're distrusting him. And he goes, look it, I just want to warn you, you do not want to go in that battle. And you say, I've already defeated that. And God says, you defeated that when you trusted me. Now you're not trusting me. You're not going to have victory today like you did then, because you're not trusting me. I fought the battle then. And you wonder why you're like, God, I thought this was kicked. I thought I, didn't, I, I thought it was free from this bondage. And now look at it again. I'm going to be fighting this battle again. And that's when you know that there's a problem in trust often. Because all of a sudden, that same thing that used to be no problem anymore becomes a problem again. And God's like, you know what? You just need to get out of that altogether because you are in no place. You are in no place place to fight that battle right now because you could never win that battle in the first place I won it and now that you're not trusting me you're going to try to to fight the battle and you're going to lose do you get it and I wonder how many of us right here that's what we're experiencing where the battle maybe was one that was so huge at one point in our life it was a giant the Amalekites were the second giant they had to fight the first was Egypt which God took down and then the Amalekites were the second great battle and God took them down But please hear me. Though that was in our past, we take our heart away from the Lord, start trusting in ourselves, start figuring out how to get back to that Egypt, try to find a new leader to get us back there. And there will always be somebody that will take you back to Egypt if you want. God's like, you don't want to go into that, you don't want to step into that ring. That's not yours to step in. You're going to lose that. And that becomes the problem for the rest of the chapter. So the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will the people, how long will I bear with this evil generation who complain against me? That's our key word here. And the word means to stand, to be obstinate, to be like, No. I have heard their complaints which the children of Israel make against me, saying, As I live, says the Lord, just as I have spoken, you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness of you who are numbered. According to the entire number from 20 years old and above, did you notice God actually held, there was an age where he held liable? Wouldn't you have been thankful to be 19? Could you imagine if your birthday was tomorrow and you thought, God, thank you, they went today. God has an age where he holds people accountable. And that's important to note. When people ask, what about those children that die and what's God going to do with them? Hey, he hasn't held them accountable. He knows what to do except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun you will by no means enter the land in which I swore that I would make you dwell in and I wonder how Moses felt hearing that you ever thought about that his name wasn't on that list I wonder how Aaron felt hearing that his name wasn't on that list he's like the only two guys of this group they're going to go on are these two and I'm thinking and I have to tell people this right as Moses right they're like hey I just want you to know only those two guys are going and I'd start to wonder well what about you Moses no well, what's going to, why not? I don't know. But your little ones that you said would be victims, oh, I'll bring them in. And they will know that the land they will know the land you've despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons will be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you out, spied out the land, you spied it out for 40 days for each day, you will bear your guilt a year, namely 40 years, and you will know my rejection. You want to know what it's like to feel rejection? I'll show you what it looks like from my perspective. You're going to die. Now, I, the Lord have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil generation who are gathered together against me in the wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now, the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land returned, who had returned and made the congregation complain by bringing them a bad report of the land? Those very men who brought that evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. Oh, but Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Uphuna, they remained alive, the men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses told these words to the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they arose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We will go to the place in which the Lord has promised because we've sinned. Moses said, Why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Don't go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. Because the Lord is not among you now. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites who were there before you, you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord's not going to be with you in this. It's the difference between forgiveness and presence. The difference between mercy and grace. But they presume to go up anyways. And literally the word presume... And are you ready? Here's an easy Hebrew word. The word is awful. It's the word in the Hebrew. And it means to be puffed up, to swell. They got so swollen with their whole idea. You ever done that? You get so excited, you get swollen up and you just can't think of anything else. They presume to go up to the mountain. Nevertheless, the covenant of the Lord didn't go with them nor the Moses, neither departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Horma. And Hormah, by the way, means to isolate, to dedicate, to consecrate. That's what it means. Dedicated. Now, hear me as we close this up. There's a place where we can look and we start seeing the people. And in our own lives now, having Jesus as our Savior, we kind of look and we start thinking, is this the church? Is it going to be like, in the end of it all, there are going to be all these people in the middle, and they'll never really make it. I'll be honest with you. The whole idea was quite simple. That Jesus took people out of the promised land. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Took them out of the land of bondage. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, just seeing if you're there. Seeing if you're there. Woo! walked him through this area and here in this place in between the old generation the old man had to die so the new man could arise and get in and he says the old man knows how to reject god and he knows god's rejection as a result of it now god told us the same thing about us he said the moment you've accepted the gift of jesus christ if you have accepted the gift of jesus christ god took a person that you were and they died nailed to the cross. He says you're no longer under that bondage, no longer under that tyrant, no longer under that rule, and the reason is because that person died with Christ. The problem is we want to drag them along anyways. And there's a whole new person. That's why we're called born again. There's this new person that was born at the unity of our will and God's gift. And that new person starts to rise up. And then God takes us out of that place, starts making our life a bit more Spartan. And as he does, we start to realize that this person that we were, that we could somehow try to crawl back into, will never submit to the will of God. That's why he says you need to mortify it. He says, let the person I hung on the cross, let him die. And you're like, yeah, but that person was good with the ladies. That person was really hip. That person was clever and witty and whatever. And God says, you know what? You don't even know how good it's going to be over here until you let that person die. Let that person die. Let the old man die because that old man will never go into the promised land. The new man, on the other hand, oh, that's the person that God wants to make you. That's the person that's going to be fruitful because that's the person who cares for people. That's the person who looks like Jesus. That's the person who trusts in God's power. That's the person who knows the power of forgiveness. So, beloved, listen as we pray. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, is this where you feel like you are right now? In this place where you feel like you're just kind of wondering, who in the world am I and all that? Well, maybe part of that is, is you're still trying to draw your identity from a person that God is actually sending off the shore so that he can actually show you the new person he's making. That's blessed. That's where it starts. And fruitful. Hey, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd love to give you that opportunity. You don't join a church for it. You become part of the body of Christ. You get a family for it. But I tell you what, Jesus is the one who saves you. I can't do it. The church can't save you. A pope can't wave his hand on you. The only person who can save you is Jesus Christ because he's the only perfect person that can pay the price for the penalty of your sin and mine and if you've accepted that gift welcome to the walk, to the journey but where I want to be is here forever in that place of fruitfulness where God actually shows us what it really means to be abundant and we know it many of us in other words, no matter where you are there's a choice to be made will you walk with me, will we take that step forward now to wherever it is Letting the old person die so the new person can rise up and be fruitful like he intended to be a world changer. will you pray with me Lord I thank you so much for the blessing of being able to open your word. I thank you so much for the power that you have in it Lord that you that wherever we're at right now Lord I know that you've you've brought Situation and circumstance and challenge. And Lord, right now, no matter where we're at, let your Holy Spirit confirm what it is that you've spoken to each of us. (laughs) That we wouldn't think that there's some form of weird manipulative tool or whatever. Lord, let your word have profound effect on every one of us. And right now, Lord, in this room, I pray, Lord, for every person who said yes to you, that we would willingly, Lord, Allow you to lay to rest who we were, to reinvent us this something infinitely greater, so far beyond our imagination that all we can do is say, Wow Lord, I know for us to do that it's going to take for us to trust that it's that the place you have is so much better than any place we will ever have been a place of abundance, of fruitfulness, of contentedness, a place of overflow. Oh Lord, please, dangle that before our hearts. And then give us the trust, Lord, that for us to get there, it's your battle to fight. You're, you want to bring us to that battle, show us the, the magnitude of the battle, how, how much bigger that thing may be than us. But then, Lord, take it down to show that you're even bigger and that it's done for good. But, Lord, we recognize wanting to do something that you said at the wrong time is still the wrong thing and we want to follow you when you say go we want to go so Lord I pray right now for every believer here myself included Lord that you would lead us forward letting and gladly relinquishing the person we once were to not get our identity from what we were but to turn to look forward to to leave what is behind behind and press forward for the upward call of you in Christ Jesus and so Father please lead us forward to where who we were will be so foreign from us that we wouldn't even recognize the guy anymore. And so, Lord, whatever you need to do, whatever giant you need to take down, whatever problem in our trust, Lord, bolster your trust right now. As you told us, faith comes by hearing, and that your word, so Lord, even here, still greater faith that we would follow you to a place infinitely greater than we can imagine. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there is anyone who has not said yes to the gift of Jesus, His death on the cross to pay for your sins, His resurrection to offer you new life, I'd love the privilege of leading you in a simple prayer. Now, I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. I'd rather do it as tactfully as possible. So here's the simple of it. I just want to pray this prayer, and instead of having you even repeat, I'd rather have you listen so that you can hear what it is you would say yes to. And at the end, if you agree, simply ask for you to say amen. And what you are saying by saying that is, yes, Lord, let that be my prayer now. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And this is it. God, you know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner like the rest. And you as a perfect judge punish all sin. But I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all of my sins could be punished, mine and everyone else's too. And just like he promised, he died and was buried. Just like he promised, three days later he rose again. So at his death, he's paid my penalty. At his resurrection, he offers to be my Lord. And though I may not understand everything, I know this much, if you really want to declare me innocent by his gift, it behooves me to say yes. So I say yes. I say yes to the gift of Jesus at the cross. And yes, to His Lordship, that He would lead me and reinvent me into something so infinitely and profoundly more beautiful, more blessing, more beneficial, that all I can do is say thank you. So, here I am. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.